Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm Philip Topham, your host. I am very happy to have Anna Gerdmanson. Yes, I had to practice how to say that in the in the correct <laughs> pronunciation, so I didn't butcher it Perfect. as an American. Yes. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, so you've been an entrepreneur now in um, two continents, right? I've got that right. Not three, but just two. Yep. In Europe and the United States, Correct. and uh, been doing entrepreneurship for a really long time. And so I think we're, we're going to have a great conversation, explore what you've experienced in uh, the differences between Europe and the U.S. And also you've had experiences uh, raising your own money, as well as then choosing to do crowdfunding and, and such. And I'm sure there's a lot of other startups out there wanting to know, hmm, what should I do? What works for me? So with that, let's start with how did you get into entrepreneurship? Was it, you know, you're forced upon you or you you ran towards it? Um, I think initially um, it's an unconscious choice and you just gravitate uh, towards um I've always been very interested in trends and where things are going. Like as a child, I was the first person to buy a computer to the family and, um, you know, just been uh, gravitating towards new industries. And so if you want to work in cutting edge new industries, um, you end up in startups at some point. So I started working in mobile um, long before the iPhone I developed some of the very first mobile internet sites and, uh, worked with actually some some quite big brands and had a chance to drive innovation in the mobile field. So done a whole bunch of things there and um, and and yeah. So then ended up obviously finding other people and joining a founding team in a um, you know mobile um, and marketing. Actually, almost sort of cutting on the AI side uh, very on and and social media as well. You know, very early days. Um, and uh, and yeah, you know, once you're you're there. Um, it's uh, it, it's definitely um, very much aligned with with who I am and what I good I'm good at and uh, you know driving things forward and I think you know it's it's a lot about your personality there's a lot of uncertainty and you need to have a grit and stress resilience and also feel extremely passionate about what you do. Uh, absolutely. Uh- yeah, it's a common theme. I, I find, you know, most entrepreneurs uh, are fascinated with new things and new ideas. Uh, so you're you're in the right club. <laughs> uh, in your in your work and what you've done, do you join? Do you start businesses from the scratch, scratch, or do you join them when they're further along? You've done both. And- um- 
you know what like i have uh, in terms of things that i've um gone i've run my own my own company as well but more than anything i think in that sense um yeah i have definitely my unique niche i have written several business plans and then chosen to not to take them forward um and i've been pulled in by people who wanted to co-found and i i think one thing i'm pretty good at is to destroy uh, <laughs> uh business ideas that don't have viability so i do find sometimes Times, you know, like uh, I will have because I also worked as an independent consultant and I would have, uh, you know, uh, companies approach me that already had funding and I would do some basic research of what are the um, what are the fundamental assumptions that need to be in place for this model ever to work? Like, uh-huh. is, you know, what is the bottleneck and, you know, what what are the just the numbers like this, this level of conversion? Like, what are the limitations? And then just do some research uh, whether there are some yeah, typically would have done some surveys and desktop research hired some researchers if there were new industries to me and so on and so um more than once either for other people or for myself i've got to a point and i and i love that stage you know to really kind of uh, pull apart um, and that includes you know the financials but also human like behaviors and trends and uh, it's very easy to get a nice financial model uh, looking like a hockey stick but what are the underlying user behaviors or macro trends or technologies or you know like that need to be in place for that to work so um in terms of uh the 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 startups where um i've you know been it's it's more on the co-founder uh co-founder level where i've had the chance to really take the time to validate and that's the case with something as well i've really had a chance to to validate it before i chose to uh to put all my energy and life uh, into it which you know it's a lot (laughs) yes yes so it's so that's that's fascinating. I could hear you light up as you 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 know you've evaluated businesses and found them not so good, and then you've gone into others and said, "Oh, this is interesting," and which is which is a great skill, right? And that's and you talked about the validating with customers and that sort of stuff. So uh, there's the famous book, "Talking to Humans," and how many. Uh, so, and you you touched upon that. How how important is that really uh, that human aspect to building the this businesses and startups and such? What if you were to say, you know, what thirty percent the technology, thirty percent the people, thirty percent other things? What's what's the critical factors? I think the critical factors is really to understand what the business is about and really look at like, okay, taking a step back in order for this to be a massive success, what needs to happen? Uh, I am assuming X, Y, Z. Is that correct? Um, And then, you know, some of these things will be in like, is there a large enough market? Um, You know, and if it's a new product, then obviously a lot of that, I think it's really important at some point to speak, speak to humans, at least before you start building product and have humans a part of it, because whether it's B2B or B2C, ultimately the user tends to be humans at at some level, the buyer is always going to be human, right? So it's also understanding, not just uh, because you can validate the need for a product, uh, but if there is no business case there, so I've often seen that as well, which is like, yeah, no brainer, people need this, but actually uh, they're not willing to pay for it. Or there is no one in the chain. If it's not adding value to the person that's going to pay for it, then, you know, right. it's going to be really challenging. And, and that's like, I'm very geeky about these things. And I, I love uh, both macro and, and individual psychology and sort of look at those elements. And um, yeah, as I said, with um, 
with businesses and even including my own business plans, you know, I pick them apart and I'm more than happy to let it go. Um, and in this case, you know, I had the opportunity to, uh, to come in when, uh, you know, my co-founder Stefan, you know, had not quite a lot of knowledge about, um, about his field. And then, you know, I got to look at, look at data, but yes, I do think it's very important to, um, to always validate. And it's, it's not that hard, you know, um, right. talking to humans, there's also the mom test and all this, like these books, you know, and, and it's fascinating how we miss that element so often. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Uh, getting people to tell you what they think. It's the old, the, the mom test, right? Is my, do I have a pretty baby? Of course you do. You know, well, tell me how, where it's not going to work. Um, so in, in jumping on board to Sensate, uh, you had to go through the business model. So what makes this the, the thing that Anna is going to spend her passion on and focus and dedication? What makes it so wonderful? Yeah, yeah, great. Um, well, I was not looking to do a startup <laughs> at all. Um, so I was approached by um, by Stefan, and you know he. Um, shall I just tell you a little bit what we do? Yeah, yeah, context? yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, I for, I forget we've had we've had a brief conversation, <laughs> so let's catch up the audience so we go to you know back erase 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 and go backwards a little bit. So what yeah. is Sensei? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, great. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a groundbreaking consumer product. Uh, so it, it uh, uses infrasonic resonance to tap into the primal part of the nervous system that controls the stress response. So um, it is uh, for anyone who is suffering with stress and anxiety, it's really effective for, for relaxation. Um, and it's really developed to tone the vagus nerve, which I think more and more people are going to hear about. Um, and it's doing that through um, through infrasonic resonance. It is sort of for to get an idea. It's actually why in yoga we om is to uh, get resonance into the chest area, which you typically only do with practice. Um, but it is it's like that part of the nervous system that controls the stress response is very very old and primal. Um, old in terms of evolution. So um, for me, like layman's term, it's like the infrasonic frequency is almost its language. Um, so that's what we do. Uh, we have uh, this product in the market now since a couple of years. Um, uh, many thousands of people using it. We're getting love letters every day. Um, so tying back to kind of what made me jump on board uh, with this, because it is uh, definitely not, you know, the most cookie cut company, super straightforward. It's, it's, it's cutting edge um, in, in science and in technology in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So um, Stefan, my co-founder, is um, also the founder of the New Medicine Group in Harley Street in London. He's worked for decades at treating tens of thousands of people with severe stress and trauma related conditions a lot of people with chronic disease um, integrated health issues have been to every other doctor and not found yeah. solutions so for me one of the validations is he's the real deal he's amazing and you know worked with real people thousands of real people um so that was the first uh, very important point and then just as a hobby, I'm also a certified breathwork practitioner. Otherwise, my entire background is in tech business and technology. Um, but, you know, I have, I understand, so I have actually trained on how the, how the nervous system works. And I believe that this is a whole new paradigm 
of uh, how we're understanding things. And I could go down the rabbit hole of the fact that we're shifting from understanding uh, matter to potential frequency on a quantum level, <laughs> on a biological level, on so many different levels, uh, right. but also how effective this actually is with PTSD. So. Um, so that was kind of one uh, one point, um, and uh, so serendipitously or not, but about three or four or maybe even five people told Stefan he should speak with Anna Godwinson, and so I got a few introductions, and so we ended up speaking. And I was actually going through a sell of a business at the time and was extremely busy, but I wanted to be involved both. Uh, because I really believe in this field, um, but then also it's kind of easy for me to just help on an advisory level. So I took an advisory role and um, ended up also contracting a little bit. I had I, um, bigger clients and other things going on. And as I said, I was also selling a business initially um, and then helped take the first product to market. So then we had, we sold 900 of a sort of test uh, batch. Right. And, and that's where I got the validation in terms of data. So having worked in technology product my entire career and, um, you know, many companies, I am so used to seeing um, this kind of single digit percentage uptake, you know, and I, I, having also a product background, like looked at a lot of, a uh, lot of data over the years. And so the thing that initially triggered me was the um, amount of spontaneous reviews, because that's the gold dust. Like every product person is always trying to find a moment to make a, you know your, your customers want to leave a positive review. Right. And here was people that will go online, find a way to contact Stefan to write that they, you know, they've been trying to meditate and it hasn't worked or they've had sleep issues or they had all these different conditions and this really helped them. And they really needed to let him know how this had helped them. And that was about 10% of users. I've never seen anything like that in my entire career. So that was a second uh, validation point. And then also the fact that we sold them at a viable price point. So, um, and, you know, at this point, I'd already taken a board director role since I had board, board experience as well. Um, and then went on to, you know, take the co-founder CEO role and, um, you know, raise several rounds and mega multiplier revenues and all the stuff that I've done since then. But I really had a chance to get to know Stefan and, and really get some, some, some real customer uh, feedback and, you know, did obviously surveys and things like that as well. Um, and the usage data, which I think um, is a super powerful metric if you have access to it. Very nice. Fascinating. And, and would you say uh, with people trying to reach meditation, is it broader than that? You know, because I would, you know, that would probably might be your entry into the marketplace. And then our, how does that expand into uh, Joe consumer? It's uh, maybe in Best Buy. Yeah, no, great, great, great question. So um, the the or like the where Stefan and I come together from different perspectives is that he could see in clinic that it was only a single digit percentage of his patients who would uh, take the practices that he recommended and actually manage to do them. Right. So the vast majority would fail at developing regular practices with meditation, et cetera. Both <laughs> Stefan and I are regular meditators, um, but we also recognize that that is the minority of the population at this time in evolution. Um, and, and so um, the what he could see was that this was something 
something that was working really well yep. and what we're also seeing in the usage data. So, um, and, and I've seen from working with fitness apps, um, health uh, apps, all these kind of things, and also hardware and, um, um, and, and software like trackers, all of that. It's the same thing. It's like small percentage of uptake, massive drop off. Um, and I've been advocating a little bit in the product industry that what people often do is they look at that single digit percentage that is achieving the behavioral change. And then they're trying to make the 90 plus percent of people do the same thing. Sure. And my personal view is that that is not the right way to go about it. That single digit percentage of people would succeed with a written paper on the back of a napkin <laughs> and with instructions. It is actually not really your app or your product that is changing their behaviors. That is such a small part of it. Uh, you have to fall in love and deeply care about that 92%. Their needs are different. Their motivations are different. You have to Got understand it. how to get them to move. And I'm only passionate about that because I'm only passionate about global impact and big <laughs> macro uh, scale. And, and so like, I, I am a meditator myself. I love the demographics of meditators who use our product and health hackers and biohackers and that groups, they're amazing. But really what I care about is the fact that we already have a lot of these other users who right. really don't have anything else. And we did a, a third party that did a survey of, on, a, on a random set of our of users. And it was really surprising to me, such an early stage, because you would say that's the other side of the chasm. Sure. We already had 27% of people who bought a Sensate as the first thing they did to deal with the stress and anxiety. So that's what I care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. It, yeah, it makes perfect sense. So, you know, we, we, we're, we're, you know, as, as uh, the entrepreneurs, we're the 10% fringe, you know, you might say 5%, 10% fringe. There's, there's no matter what, I think every human being is 10% fringe in something. Uh, what, whatever that is, and they'll do that no matter what. The, it's the other ninety percent trying to get them to do something else. I, I agree with you. That's that's where um, makes us unique. That that ten percent fringe makes us unique. But the ninety percent, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna go on a diet today. I, I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Whatever yeah. it is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, now, that wonderful story and wonderful insights into the way people purchase and, and buy and things. And in and, and building the business, though, you had to you know, raise capital and, and such. And you have risen, uh, done it several different ways. So what have you learned about raising capital and <laughs> in, in that you'd, you'd think, um, you know, when, whenever I go to meetings at... Uh, you know, meet the investor, there's always somebody that says, oh, I've got to raise my pre-seed. I've got to get my seed. I've got to get my, my, my A, A round. I've got to be ready. Right. And so what do you, what do you say to people that want to build a business and how should they go about raising capital? Oh gosh. Um, where to start? I think, um, <laughs> I mean, so, some of the very, very early stage companies um, go straight to raising money. And uh, there I always say, like, you know, you're going to just have to give away all of the business. Um, so, like, how far can you get? What can you prove? How many people can you sign up? Like, what right. value in the business can you create before? The more you can do of that and fund it by having a job on the side or whatever it is. Um, and so I think, like, there is sort of a little romanticized Hollywood story about, like, you have an idea and then you raise money and then it explodes. And so... 
um, I always I always look at. <laughs> yeah, you, you you've just you've just you've just captured why the savvy why I created the savvy founder. It was the proverbial Silicon Valley myth where you go have a coffee shop conversation and you have on the back of a napkin you write your idea down you walk away with a check for five million bucks. <laughs> yes, it can happen. The re- the reality is, you know, you have to have the right idea, the right connections, the right place, you know, the right you know, tsunami of idea, you know, I could have pitched uh, the iWatch, uh, you know, 10 years ago, you know, after watching a Dick Tracy comic book, and everybody would have laughed at me. And now, you know, the iWatch is normal, right? So take yeah. your poison, right? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. So but you've exactly so, you know, uh, build your business and keep as much be scrappy and, and such. So and, in yeah, that, but- right? And keep, keep, <laughs> yeah, o- and keep ownership of your business. Yeah. And I mean, that also, it is back to my point of really validating a whole bunch of things before you go away and spend other people's money. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to deeply care about the money that you're using. Uh, you know, like, I, I, you know, for teams and everyone, this is someone else's money. You know, you, you need to be really knowing what we're doing with it and have a lot of respect for, uh, for, for, those, for those investors and that investment. But ultimately, you know, from the inter- entrepreneur's point of view, um, you know, the less value you have in the business by the time you raise money, the more you give away of the business. So just understanding that very basic, um, you know, equation of, of, um, of uh, valuation and so on. Um, yeah. And then, um, you know, there are many different routes. And I think like there's this <laughs> back to back to the, the, the myth. Um, it's also that there is only VC money and that everyone wants to raise from the same cool Silicon Valley uh, VCs. And, um, you know, there are so many different ways. So what type of business is it? Is it really a, a VC investment? Because there are certain criteria in terms of growth. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, like you can kind of do a little check box to see or is this yeah. something that is going more linearly or, uh, you know, there are lots of different uh, types of ways to raise money. So that's like another aspect. But then let's say we're in that category. Obviously, I've only ever worked in, in tech uh, business. Um, uh, then, you know, I, uh, gosh, so many different things. Um, I think uh, just to, to of my own learnings very recently, I think um, uh, I, I now see a lot more value in, um, uh, so I, I've had a lot of great introductions um, for the most recent round. Uh, but I think in hindsight, it would have made more sense to really, really research very deeply why I would be on the top of that pile. And so if I'm going to share my personal learnings, which I'm always happy to do, and my failures, <laughs> um, then, uh, you know, it, it was like we were too shiny not to get a meeting. And we had really, we, you know, we got some great VC investors. So, you know, I'd always get a meeting and um, I did waste a lot of time. Um, initially by, um, uh, by, by, you know, because we had such great traction, it's a huge market. We got great usage numbers. It's too shiny of a thing not to take a meeting. So I did get meetings with almost anyone I wanted. It's the call. Right, right, right. right? Um, and then they're interested. Oh, this is a strong founder. No, no. So then you got to get to the point. So I would always, but like I wasted a lot of time being too good not to speak with, but not top of the priority pile. And that's where we also get into like VCs, maybe sometimes being more cookie cut than, than, you know, <laughs> you yeah, yeah. and you know, it's easy to, it's easier somehow. And we have to also understand, I mean, it's just human behavior, right? Like sure. um, you have another vertical SaaS company that you can run your same analysis models on. 
and here I come. It's got hardware and software and, uh, you know, um, from Europe and uh, female and. Um, yeah, you, you check know, a, like you check a lot of boxes off. And, and, and all of that. So it's kind of a little bit unusual. And then, the, you know, I got a lot of interest and then like spent too much time where it, like, it, well, it's not really our sweet spot type of thing. So then, you know, targeting That's more um, that like, what is it? in their investment strategy that is going to make you a priority right. over other companies. And that research, I think, is, is well worth time before going out, especially, you know, when you're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going to get the meetings and it's the worst of all worlds because you spend so much time. <laughs> you, yeah, you think you're you think you're going and you're, you're not. It's 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 some of that early, that simple advice I, I sometimes have heard. And that is the investor has two fears, the fear of losing their money and the fear of missing out on a great deal, right? And the fear of missing out on a great deal is what you're describing. You know, it's a it's a great opportunity, but it's not in their wheelhouse. So they they don't really add a lot of value. It's kind of becomes dumb money, if you will, because they don't really know why that business is is phenomenal. They can't do the analysis, they can't do this the strategy, they can't help, they can't do more than just go, yeah, you got a great deal. Here's some money, move. Um, so I think you're very, you know, right on point for you know, to make it a really strategic uh, partnership, you have to think the way the investor thinks and what's good for them uh, to be the best at helping you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we sometimes forget as well that, um, you know, VCs are actually managing other people's money. So it's very different to pitching to a family office where they make their own decisions. So yeah. if, if, if your investment is a little bit out of the strategy and it fails, they're going to have to, to, uh, to take responsibility for that in front of the LPs. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, so that there's also that dynamic. And I think, you know, back to just caring about psychology and drivers and all of that, it's also yeah. like understanding where, uh, where the VCs are coming from and, you know, what, what, what their challenges are and drivers and motivations. Perfect. So we, we've talked about that a little bit. So how does that then compare to going down the crowdfunding route? What's, uh, you know, it's been, it came onto the scene, I don't know, what, seven-ish years ago, and, and it's it became the hottest thing, and then it sort of fizzled out a little bit, and now it's sort of quietly in the background and their strategies, but it's not front news uh you know everybody needs to do crowdfunding so where where did how did you come to that decision and what have you found yeah so this is the second time i'm directly running a crowdfunding campaign i've been involved in with companies and clients as well so um the first one we did was an indiegogo campaign um and we uh did a rewards-based one so that was very tactical um it was like at a point where we have a consumer product and we didn't have a platform and so i took the um i took the opportunity of being on an existing platform and 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 leveraging their network and testing out like we had a global market we learned so right. much from the campaign learning where the product was selling uh feedback all of that and just you know using indiegogo as a as a platform yeah, to yeah. reach clients and customers of um i would say you know we definitely had we, we did over a million which is a great very early stage um and so obviously we did a lot of work and drove the vast majority of the traffic ourselves not from the platform i think 
that's extremely important to understand that you can't just put your company on uh, on a crowdfunding platform and anything to expect anything to happen no less than you can start a website and think that you're going to have any traffic right yes um but but that was uh, you know very tactical for us and i used the time to rebrand the company and build our own commercial um, site in the meantime so uh, really a win-win for us um so I think there are those kind of tactical tactical things you can do. And also you will reach a kind of um, early adopter type of, of, of segment um, on these platforms. They are also used to startups. So uh, one of the things that is challenging for an early stage um, e-commerce business is that, you know, Amazon is at the standards. We have like one and a half customer service person and our customers <laughs> expect you know instant response and you know like uh, immediate uh, delivery sure. so um i think also they, they these platforms have a little bit more understanding um uh, users and customers but you know i suppose so that was the first one uh now i think um you know when or when not to um it's important to validate um whether you're uh, suitable for for a crowdfunding platform i think it's good to speak to all the crowdfunding uh platforms and also match up how just research like how that has are there any similar type of pro products have why did they fail or not fail i mean in general but you know obviously on, on crowdfunding platforms, um, it makes more sense for a consumer product because what like the reason we're now going out with the crowdfunding platform is both because actually it's in our ethos. We really want to, we have a lot of customers who are, you know, both, you know, got amazing commercial traction, but we, we are also an impact business, right? We really care about what we do, but also how we do it. And we right. do want to invite uh, some of our users and a wider audience that really care about mental well-being and all of that um, into what we do, uh, but it also means uh, you know that we we get our uh, our brand out there, and so it, it is both obviously to raise um, money, and we're doing an equity round, but also it means that you know someone might see this uh, this company and you know not invest, but then their their niece or or brother needs might need this product because they suffer a bit with stress and anxiety or, or are a biohacker, health hacker or whatnot. So um, I think that's where, you know, tactically it really makes sense. Um, and, you know, what's, uh, what I think is happening now in the industry, I mean, the Reg CF is really changing everything. Uh, there is a lot more um, scrutiny and, you know, there's a lot, a lot more to go through from a regulatory perspective, which I think is great. Like I, I love having to <laughs> um, be more, or, uh, uh, you know, more precise in what we do because ultimately it raises the bar and that also means that crowdfunding becomes more viable. And, and I think that's great. Uh, you know, right right now, let's look at the market, right? Um, <laughs> what the market is yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and here and other opportunities to um, to invest in businesses. So I think that Reg CF and where that is going is really, really fascinating and interesting. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it, it, for for me, the crowdfunding. I agree with you. If if everybody jumps into the crowdfunding and there's no quality, then it it goes to the lowest common denominator, which isn't really good, right? The person that's trying to do the fly fly by night thing. But if there's some level that says, "Hey, this is the this is the floor," and the floor is a great you know a great quality standard, then it it just helps the whole industry and it helps in my mind, get more businesses launched because if the hurdles there, the viability, you have to think through your product, your business to get to that level to and have the diligence to do the financials. You know, how many times have we seen startups and they don't even actually understand what a pro forma is? Um, and that's crazy to me, but they do do it. Yep. 
Yeah, and it's actually one of the reasons we chose to go with um, with Republic as well. They put a lot into the diligence, um, so we chose to be more uh, precise. And I think you know what's nice as well now because uh, there are these larger amounts is relevant for companies like us, and that makes it more interesting for investment because we already have significant amount of evidence and traction and revenues. Uh, rather than these super super early that are literally just ideas and raising the first um, you know 100k so that also means that there's a lot more interesting businesses that come onto these platforms excellent not very nice the 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 next area i kind of want to touch on and that is as we we alluded you hit all the right buttons you know you're from europe you're a woman you're in the technology business uh, what have you found with the difference between raising money in Europe and raising money in the United States, as well as this whole uh, interest in the the minority diversity approach? Has it changed yet? Well, you know, I, I love that, but there is this perception that you hit the right buttons um, and, uh, you know, like, oh, it should be easier nowadays to raise money as a female founder. And then you look at the the crazy statistics, right? So I think like the most uh, the biggest report that everyone's talking about last year was the pitch book one, uh, you know, that came out and and female founded businesses got two percent, which is down from two point two percent in twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like an eighty six percent to uh, funding teams with no women at all uh, of the money. So yeah. So you know, clearly, um, it's it's maybe changing in terms of rhetoric, but it not is not changing in terms of funding um yet but i think you know the rhetoric comes first and so i think you know there's uh it's great we're talking about it and that's sure. you know from all sorts of um, diversity and investment is uh, super super important um and you know like it you, you got to start with awareness right sure um, absolutely you, you start with awareness <laughs> so in in that and, regards um is is Europe ahead or is America ahead? I mean, is there a race between who's doing funding better? Yeah. Um, um, uh, no, actually, on the on the on the gender side, they look the same. Um, uh, but uh, but and then you, you also mentioned like it would be a right button. Your button. You're from Europe. That actually typically is very difficult to raise money in the U.S. Being European, so uh, you know the vast majority actually goes into uh, uh, like American funders, which makes total sense, right? We're we're a U.S. company now. I am from <laughs> I'm from Europe, but live here. Um, sure. As you know, in in LA. Um, so um, you know there there are some differences uh, i think uh you know we we have teams across uh, the us and and the uk um and we raised money in both territories um you know um, unarguably something unique happened in silicon valley and i think some of the mindset um around investing in the future and investing in the potential versus investing in evidence it really helps for taking risk and investing in early stage companies and really investing in vision and seeing that so I do see some differences, a bit sort of cliche, um, you know, there are cultural differences, there are differences in, you know, language and how you express certain things and how humble or how bold you are and how you express yourself. And I think, you know, especially between the UK and the US, there is often a perception uh, because it's the same language um, that the, the culture is very similar, but the UK is much more similar to the rest of Europe than, than to the US. So there are like uh, big differences there. It's like I've worked several times uh, in, in 
international businesses. So I'm very used to, and I've lived in six countries myself. So uh, culture is kind of uh, part of my USB, if you like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see um, Europe having um, an alternative um, strategy. And I think some of it is happening. Um, and, you know, how a lot of European countries are looking at like how to replicate um, Silicon Valley. And I think we can take a step further because the Silicon Valley um, uh, culture has also created some of the issues we've got right now. Like what, where is the, the values and ethical aspects of really sure. understanding what technology is doing. And, you know, I really like this is what I work with right now is an example of how technology is really enhancing the human experience. And I think there's huge potential there also in AI and, and things like that, which I'm very passionate about. But there needs to be an understanding of the larger impact. Um, and also, the, you know, some of the diversity questions clearly didn't work out for, for the Bay Area culture. So um, I think, you know, Europe can leap ahead. Yeah, in those no, areas. We, yeah. we could we could talk about that all day. Maybe we'll have another conversation uh, on that. Uh, I, I certainly uh, I'm American in that I've been raised American. I was born in Britain and my parents came when I was three. So I've grown up with the cultural awareness of Europe and very different. And my parents were 83 and they still speak. Uh, they open their mouth and everybody, they go, where are you from? And I, of course, never hear it. But that, that the, the European, that social demo, the social Democrat system is very different than the U S capital system. And it has a huge impact in it. And I think, uh, Europe can lean into its strength with the way they do the ecosystem and in, in in getting different products to market, whereas the U.S. you know it has to have that you know if it's going to scale it has to have that VC to grow and buy the market. Like I don't think Uber would have done well starting in in Europe because they'd have city after city that's completely different. Um, yes, cities are different in the United States, but they're they're less different. Yeah, they're they're there are pros and cons. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it's been you know the time has just flown by. Uh, as you think through all that you've been doing and and forward, what what would you say to your younger self if you could go back in time that would shorten your startup journey? I really appreciate you sharing your journey, and I hope it help somebody listening how they can think through what they're doing and make some different choices. So what would, what advice would you have given your younger self? You know, like, um, there's a lot of advice I could, I could give my younger self. Like there are some aspects that I think are really important to, um, to the success of a founder. And a lot of it has got to do with your psychology. And, um, you know, there I, like I am not the same person that I was when I was 19 and some people would have had the be ready when they're 19 to take over the world I, I was not uh, but like for me um, if there's anything I will tell anyone it's just like that's all just fixable I have really reprogrammed myself being <laughs> pro having programmed back in the day um, and so you know like uh, any 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 doubts any 
um, any any blockages that are neuroplasticity is real. Neuroplasticity is real, hundred percent. However, I think like there are some things that I would uh, would really have liked to do differently. I would have liked to have more mentors. I think I tried, um, and I, I've obviously worked in Texas. It's been hugely uh, male dominated, and and um, uh, there 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 are some issues when you're a young woman. I think now it's easier when I'm mid forties, um, but with with mentorships and things like that. But I think I could have had more guidance on the way that would have really helped, um, right. and sort of dare to reach out and 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 just not think assume that you know yeah i'm so early that no one's going to want to mentor me i love mentoring people like that that would have been you know definitely one piece of advice but um yeah yeah otherwise you know could go for on, on for hours well it's, it's, it's great advice just you know uh there's a there's i'd like to see what you think uh this is true i uh, another guest said that being an entrepreneur is just like a regular career you start as an apprentice you don't really know what you don't know. You start doing it and then you, you know, get better and better. And then eventually you're sort of this journeyman to use that trades analogy. And then you become a master at building businesses and running businesses. Is that true? Is, is it, is, is entrepreneurship a career, a lifelong career of learning? I think everything is about learning. I literally think that, you know, life is about learning and growing and that's very much my philosophy. So um, for sure, I um, so one of the key learnings as well is is to uh, here's here's like a piece of wisdom I think is really really important um, uh, to this point, which is uh, we we tend to think that if it doesn't feel right, it's not for us. Um, but but growing and learning and being out of your comfort zone by definition is uncomfortable. You're out of your comfort zone. So I think that is such an important part of entrepreneurship that you start and it's going to feel crazy because you're, you don't know, like that's moving into territories that no one else has. And to know that, no, that's totally normal. It's part of the journey. You're just out of the comfort zone. It means that you're growing good. You just keep going. You just, you said it excellent. I've, I've said that myself. When I started podcasting, I wasn't very comfortable. Now it's, now it's much better. Uh, so phenomenal. Excellent. So why don't we, uh, how do we, uh, how do people find out more about Sensate and uh, where, where should they go? Yeah. So our website is getsensate.com. So T-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E.com. Yeah. And I'll have um, that in the show notes. Yes. And you can add our Instagram and uh, LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and oh. we're, we're, we're everywhere. Um, you know, the main sort of social media channels and, you know, love hearing from people. And then we will be very, very shortly um, on Republic as well. Excellent. So we'll have that uh, when that happens, we'll make that, we'll make that happen. It's been an absolute pleasure. The time has just flown by, Anna. Uh, thank you again. No, thank you. Really, really good speaking with you. Thank you. Wonderful. So, if, if, if anything was said today that helped you think about your own journey and save you a month, a week, a day, share it with another founder, excellent. Better yet, leave a five-star review. And I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy Founder, wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your personal and business lives. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.